got that voice in our head that tells us we can't do stuff. But some people are just better at not listening to it. And by sitting down with those people, asking them questions, and then recording it and blasting it out on the internet, perhaps, maybe, I can help other people like me get out of our own way. Hey guys, welcome back to Close Your Optional. My guest this week is Cameron Riley. He is a philosopher and an author. He wrote a book called The Three Illusions, which are the illusion of free will, the illusion of the self, and the illusion of time. This is a great conversation, mostly all centered around that concept, about what does it mean to have free will, what does it mean to be a self, and are you really those things? Really, when you think about it, what the fuck actually are we? I'm actually a little bit embarrassed, and this is me from myself believing that I'm a self and believing that I should be other than the self that I am, but I listen back to this podcast and I come across as a tiny bit aggressive and intense. I'm not really sure what got into me this day, and now I'm just making an excuse so that you guys can listen to it and then be like, yeah, she was fucking aggressive, but at least she said sorry at the start, so maybe we can forgive her and still listen to her podcast another day. I'm just trying to make friends here. Hope you guys enjoy the conversation. He does say uh, at the end that if you want a copy of his book, if you send him an email, which is to CameronRiley at gmail.com, he will send you a copy of the ebook for free. It's not a long book. You can get through it in a day or two. It's a pretty short book. Um, I definitely highly recommend reading it. It's great. And another uh, great book to read on this concept, if you'd like to, is Free Will by Sam Harris. It's also another really short book. And Sam Harris is a amazing, really good thinker and a great philosopher. Alrighty, that's enough for me. Hope you have a great week. Talk to you again soon. Hi, Cameron. Oh, hi. <laughs> How are you? We started. Yeah, we've wow. Started. Officially now we your, have started. Uh, the, your, your, your voice just went up suddenly. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, good, man. Thanks so much for coming down to do hey, this. Hey, thanks for inviting me. So we are here mostly to discuss the concept of free will because you wrote a book called The Three Illusions. Mm. What are those three illusions? <laughs> <laughs> well, the three illusions that I talk about are the illusion of free will the illusion of time and the illusion of identity. Mm. Um, and, that, you know, it was just a way of me trying to encapsulate, uh, maybe condense down into a couple of key points, things that I'd been thinking about over 20 years yeah. uh, that formed the basis of my personal philosophy uh, as a result of some things I was uh, pointed at when I was a young guy. In what uh, way? What do you mean? Oh, uh, so um, when I was uh, eighteen, I was drinking really heavily. Uh, mm. had just drunk every day, hitting it really hard. I was living in Melbourne. I was working in the stock market. It was the late eighties. Oh. Um, I had a boss who was a forty-year-old single gay guy. A lot of money, a lot of time, fully stocked bar would just take me and a handful of our team members out for dinner every night. Wine was flowing. Everything was on the corporate card. It was kind of the oh late 80s sort of Wall Street uh, level excess. excess. And, um, and after a couple of bad experiences, 
one in which I um, remember we went out to dinner, group of us one night. I must have got up at some point and gone to a bathroom in this restaurant. Um, but instead of going to the bathroom on the floor where we were, I went up a level. I think it, might, it must have been like busy and, 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 uh, and I went up to another level. Anyway, I woke up at uh, four o'clock in the morning in the bathroom stall. Uh, oh, my God. Vomit everywhere. Um, cleaned my, got, walked out, cleaned myself up as best as I could. Walked out back into the restaurant and it was empty. Oh, Silent. Fuck. Everyone had gone home. Uh, including my girlfriend and all my colleagues. My girlfriend had gone home and taken my wallet, my briefcase, my jacket, my keys. So I had to walk like two hours uh, back to where <laughs> I live. Um, <clears throat> and uh, rang my dad the next day, who was, who was a, a sober alcoholic. He'd been sober at that point for probably, uh, was, uh, no, 10 years. And uh, no, five or six, uh, seven or eight years. Anyway, yeah. And I said, hey, I think I've got a drinking problem. And he was like, oh, you think? Uh, <laughs> About time you cottoned yeah. on. Yeah. Well, and, and so I, I got sober. And uh, so I was at a, I was at a meeting um, probably a year later. And I'm uh, and this old guy, I thought he was old then. He's 90 now. So uh, this was probably um, nearly 30 years ago. He got up and said a few things. He said, I remember he said... Um, the problem with most of you is you think you are your mind, but you're mm. actually that which is aware of the mind. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, holy shit. That like hit me right between the eyes like somebody had thrown a, a tomahawk at me. And um, I went up to him afterwards and I said, I, I don't know what that was you just said, but something about that really connected with me. And he said, yeah, I come." he said, that's great. Come along to my place on Tuesday night. We have a little chat thing. So, <laughs> so I met Bob. Um, like, clothes are optional, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't tell me. I found that out later. No. Uh, Sailor Bob Adamson uh, is, is his name. He's still going in Melbourne. Um, as I said, he's just turned 90. Wow. He still has these like just uh, uh, weekly chats three times a week. And he just uh, told me to have a look at a few things. Uh, mm. Didn't really teach me anything, just sort of introduced me to the idea of a philosophy called Advaita or non-duality. It's sort of, um, he came from a, like an Indian school. He'd gone over and spent time with a guru over there in the 70s. But basically, um, the, the, the main thrust of what he was asking me is, well, what are you? When you say me, what do you mean? So I started this process of self-inquiry over the next year, um, which uh, opened up a lot of uh, insights, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Where, how do we get into that? And so the 20 years later, I wrote a book about it, uh, <laughs> finally. Well, yeah, well, you were just you were saying basically that uh, certain things that happened to you in your life that kind of got you on this path of inquiry. Because, mm. I mean, that is a thing that usually something does tend to happen. Uh, somebody mentions something like you you overhear something or you see a movie that gets you thinking about it, you read a book that gets you thinking about it. And this all of a sudden this idea that like, oh yeah, what am I? Hmm. Because I... I mean, I could, I am my cells, I'm my body, I guess, but not really because my body regenerates my cells every seven years, at least they're completely brand new. So I'm not necessarily the cells that I just was. Mm. 
I'm not my thoughts because my thoughts are constantly changing. I'm not my emotions because my emotions are constantly changing. So what the fuck am I? Mm-hmm. And Sam Harris has got, I, I, he wrote that great book, Free Will, but also he's got a good book called Waking Up. Have you mm-hmm. read that one yet? No, I'm familiar with it, but I haven't read it. Mm, it's good. And it, this is a lot more along the line of the illusion of identity, mm. to, similar to what you had summed up kind of in your book. But the, um, he just has a little thought experiment where he just goes, stop everything now and identify you. You're like, what is you? Mm-hmm. And, and the best way that you've described it pr- previous is just literally you're the experience of the thing that's experiencing the thoughts. That's essentially consciousness is the only thing that we can know is for real because we're aware that we're thinking thoughts, but we can't be the thoughts themselves. Mm. So what is the consciousness? And, you know, so it, I think a self-inquiry is... Um, an interesting process to go through. Yeah. Um, and you're right. I mean, so, and that's, that's how Bob got me started. He said, well, work out what this me is. When you say me, what do you mean? Mm. And I think most of us start, we, we think, okay, well, I'm the, I'm the body. Mm-hmm. But then as you say, I realize, well, the cells change. If you know a little bit about biology, you know the cells change. And cells are made of molecules, which are made of atoms. And the atoms come and go in our bodies constantly. The atoms that... Um, in my body today were something else five years ago. Mm. The atoms that are um, in my body five years from now are currently something else. They're currently plants and animals. So which atoms are me, the ones that are in my body now, the ones that were in my body, the ones that will be in my body? It, it, when you start to think about it deeply, it becomes very hard to figure out, well, which part of my body... If I, if I if I'd lost a finger uh, in an accident, would I still be me? Well, yes. If I lost a hand, yes. If I lost an arm, two arms, both arms and legs, would I still think that I'm me? Yes. Okay. So I'm not those parts of my body. Um, I think most people, when they start thinking about this, usually get down to, well, I'm my brain. Mm. Okay. Well, which part of my brain am I? And I mean, personally, I found out about 15 years ago that... um, I suffered a brain injury when I was 14, 15 and, and happened to go get an MRI done pre uh, some eye surgery and uh, it showed up in the MRI that a big chunk of my brain was dead. So oh, my this God. big chunk of – and, and took it to my neurologist at the time. He goes, yeah, you're missing 10% of your, your grey matter. <laughs> and I said, well, that explains a lot. Um, <laughs> Uh, so which part of my brain am I? Yeah. And, and, you know, the brain grows all the time. We're always learning new things. Most people will say, I'm my memories, so, you know, but then what if you forget something? Are you any less you when you get a new memory? Uh, are you a different person? What is it that's consistent? But I think it, so for me, it, it goes a little bit deeper than that too. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a science nerd. I like reading books about physics and biology and you know if you put some glasses if you if you had a special kind of goggles you could put on that you could dial up and you could see down to the atomic level Mm -hmm. what we would see sitting here is not my body ending and then air and then a table and then you bear and then you what we would see is just what i think of as atom soup because we know that there the 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 electrons that orbit the nucleus of the atoms that make up my body. Atoms don't have a hard shell, according to physicists. They're kind of like a fuzzy probability shell around yeah, them. Yeah. 
So there's no hard end to the atoms that make up my body and no hard beginning of you or the table. It just all flows into one another if we could see down at that level. So really, if we could see it at an atomic level, we wouldn't see any separation between you and me and the chair and the table and the wall. We would just see soup. Yeah. Uh, uh, atom soup. <laughs> Um, so that's what is, is atom soup. And I, when I started thinking down to that level, it was very hard for me to say, well, this is where I start and this is where I stop. Yeah. And the way I ended up thinking about it is, well, all there really is that I can say with certainty is there is the universe. And if, again, if you listen to physicists, they'll say, well, 13, 14 billion years ago, the universe was the size of a, a pea. Yeah. Smaller than that. How know, did they point. know that, by the way? Do you know really, do you understand really where that, like, and, and they're generally still saying now that it's a big bang. Like, at some point, the universe just exploded and here it was. But we don't really understand anything besides that, right? Well, the, the reason they will, the, the model says that it was once very small is we now know that it's moving apart. Oh, okay. It's expanding. So if it's expanding and you run the clock backwards, yeah. it would be contracting down to the point where, you know, the, the Big Bang theory is that at some point it was created. We don't really know why. Um, there's a number of theories. One is that it was created through a black hole in another universe <laughs> and that, you know, all of that energy becomes a white hole and creates another universe with, with its own dimensions. Uh, but that's theory. We don't know. But anyway, um, I think it was one of the last things Stephen Hawking was talking about before he uh, passed away. But, uh, yeah, the universe was created. But anyway, at some point, it was the size of a pea. Now, if you look at a pea today, you think, well, that's one thing. Yeah. Now, if you take a pea and then you just blow it up, if you double the size of a pea or triple it or quadruple it, it's still one pea. Everything that's inside it is the pea. Yeah. Bits of the pea, right? Well, at one point in time, the universe was the size of a pea and it just got bigger and bigger and bigger and the stuff inside it became more complex and went from hot plasma to cooled down a bit and it became gases and then the gases became suns and then the suns went supernova and created heavier elements and then they scattered throughout the universe and created other suns which also went supernova and those elements scattered and they became planets and the elements on the planets became life and, mm. and then we're here, right? And the, yeah. the carbon atoms and the hydrogen and the oxygen and the nitrogen atoms that make up my body are billions and billions of years old. I mean, the hydrogen probably goes back to the you know, 400 million years after the Big Bang. The, the carbon and the nitrogen, the oxygen are probably six to eight billion years old, according to cosmologists and physicists that make up my body. Um, yeah, wow. So, again, the concept of identity is <laughs> when you think of, when you, when you break it down and start thinking about, well, what makes me separate what makes me unique what makes me different the, the harder you think about it the harder it is i found to actually pinpoint something that i could say this is me this is where i start this is where i stop eventually it got to the point where i came to the conclusion that there is no there is no me the me is a construct it's a an illusion for want of a better word 
What um what would you say to somebody? So we've kind of got established this idea that basically we were possibly in the inside of a universal pea that exploded and condensed down and made us what we are. If somebody goes, yeah, well, what the fuck does that have to do with me? It has everything to do with you. I mean, it is what you are. But what do you say to somebody like that? Yeah, good question. Like people always say, yeah, okay, so so what? Well, you know, I think that. Um, well, let, let's keep going with the other illusions first. So free will. I mean, you know, I will suggest to people that free will doesn't exist. You're right. Uh, which a lot of people find very uh, confronting, uh, mm-hmm. very difficult to process because we've been told all our lives that you have control over at least some of your thoughts and some of your actions. But again, when you think about it, put a bit of a science hat on, and you don't need to be a science. I mean, high school level science is all you really need. Thoughts, as we understand them, are properties of the brain. The brain is made of chemicals. Chemicals obey the laws of chemistry. Chemicals are made of atoms, which obey the laws of physics. There's really no room in the laws of chemistry or the laws of physics to for free will. Mm. Every thought that you have is really just chemicals doing chemically chemical shit inside of your brains, right? <laughs> yeah. Interacting with each other. There's no theory of how would you subvert the laws of chemistry to think outside of what those chemicals are doing so free will um the idea that we can think and it depends on your definition but after 30 years of talking about this with people i think the definition most people have of free will uh, leaving aside philosophers your average person thinks that free will is something to do with having the ability to think and act outside of cause and effect right um, but, Meaning that I choose to put on my blue shoes today and not my black ones. And I could have done something different. Yes. Right? But really, what's happening at a chemical level is chemicals are interacting with each other. You, yeah. knew, you have a whole bunch of neural programming that's built up over the course of your life that's interacting with uh, outside events the temperature, you know, what other people say and do at any given point in time, but that all gets translated in your brain as chemical events, mm-hmm. electrochemical events. So really when you think about it with a little bit of science behind it, uh, every thought and every action you ever have done and ever will do is the only possible thought or action you could have had at that exact moment, based on the chemical state of your brain, at that exact moment. Mm. All of the things that have happened to you, everything that's happening around you at the time, gets processed by your brain as a chemical event. It's a memory which is stored as a chemical event, um, or it's adrenaline, or it's mm. some other neurochemical thing that's in your, in your system at the time. When you accept that, it means that every thought and action you've ever had is the only thought and action you could have had at that particular point. So free will doesn't really exist. Mm. Now, that's also true of everybody else around you. Right. Now, when you stop, what I found anyway is when, you, when I stopped believing in free will, I stopped believing that I had free will, I stopped believing that everyone around me has free will. What I found is that a lot of things disappeared. Um, guilt, anxiety resentment, Mm. fear to a large extent, because all of those emotions, and they're the things that fuck people up, right, a lot of that stuff, 
they are all predicated on the idea that I have free will and the people around me have free will. Right. They chose to hurt me. Exactly. Yeah. When you stop believing that they have free will and that they did the only they did the only thing they could do at that particular point in time based on who they are. Yeah. Their experiences, their genetics, you know, what was happening around them at the time. It's very hard to have long-term resentment. You, you can still get angry in the moment. I mean, mm. if you walked up and just slapped me across the face, adrenaline would probably shoot into my system and I'd want to defend myself. We were talking about your, your fighting before, right? You walk yeah. in there, there's fear, there's adrenaline, you're just in action mode. Yeah. But I'm sure you don't come out of a fight and just have resentment towards the person you were <laughs> fighting, right? You're not still boiling over that three months later. How dare they punch? You know, they did what they had to do in the moment, right? Right. So I found that happen. Like my father was, as I said, he was an alcoholic and, you know, we had a really bad relationship when I was younger. He was violent and he was unstable. And I had a lot of, um, lot of anger, a lot of resentment about him until the point where I realized, well, he was a product of everything that had happened. His father was an alcoholic and, you know, he was the, he had a terrible childhood. So Everything that was going on in his brain, he didn't choose to be an arsehole. He, he was made to be that way, right? It, yeah. Everything that happened to him made him an arsehole. And because he, don't, he had no free will, everything that he did was the only thing that he could do. So all of the, all of the resentment, all of the anger towards him dropped away. Like, mm. It's like, um, I mean, having a baby. I've got a four-year-old, right? I've got two 18-year-olds and a four-year-old. When, when, when you have a baby that's six months old, uh, and it vomits over you or, or it pulls the hair on your head. You don't get angry. You don't carry resentment towards the <laughs> baby because you know it's just doing what it has to do. It doesn't have any control. It doesn't know any better. Yeah. So it's the same thing when you stop believing in free will. The same thing is true of adults. Now, it's also true of yourself. Yeah. Um, I've done some things in my life that I, you know, I wish hadn't happened ways I've treated people, ex-wives, I've been angry at my children, things I've said to colleagues, whatever it is. But when And so you can carry that around with guilt. I shouldn't have done that. I wish I had done something different. I'm a bad person. Mm -hmm. When you stop believing in free will, you realize that whilst you may have, you may wish that it had been different because you wish you hadn't been the cause of pain for other people and that kind of stuff, you realize you can accept that you did what you had to do in that moment based on who you were, what was going on in your brain at the time. Now, people tend to get confused with this too. They think, well, that suggests you can't change. Well, that's not true. You have changed. You've learned new things. over Every time you listen to a podcast, every time you read a book, every time you you experience anything, your brain is changing. It is learning new things. It is developing. So not having free will doesn't mean you can't change. It just means that your brain will change, but you still won't have any control over that brain. And even the question of control, when I talk to people about this, like, well, when you think you're in control of your thoughts, who is it that you think is in control? What are you? They go, oh, my brain. Well, if you are your brain, what's in control of your brain? Well, I am. No, well, but you are your brain. So <laughs> which, how are you in control? Well, I, one part of my brain is in control of the other part of my brain. Okay, so what's in control of the first part of your brain? They say, well, <laughs> part A of my brain is controlling part P of my brain. Well, what's controlling part A of my brain? Yeah. 
like where does the thought come from you know like so if if my if i've got the thought so to use the example that kind of said at the beginning was i it's something super simple like i today put on blue shoes instead of black shoes because that's what i wanted to wear Mm -hmm. and you and you say to me well so you think that gives you free will i chose today Mm -hmm. i had the free will to pick whatever shoe i wanted to wear and i chose the blue ones and not the black ones Mm -hmm. But what made me choose the blue ones? Mm -hmm. I could justify it as many times as I want to. Like, oh, I just like the color blue. It matches my outfit. It feels good to wear it, whatever. So these are all the reasons I've given to say that I had free will just then. But all of the reasons that I just gave were dictated by my previous experience, my knowledge, everything that's come into my head at some point in my life just previous to then. So yeah, you could change because you can take all the experience that you've had up to that point, come up against a crossroads and not react the same way that you always have because you have that little moment of awareness of, oh, I'm at a choice decision point right now. I'm Mm -hmm. going to make another choice here. But even then that choice, even if it's different than the choice you would have made yesterday, that choice still is dictated by thoughts that came to you from memories, from experiences, from everything that's ever happened to you before. Which are all stored in your brain in, as some sort of chemical event. Yeah. And people will say, and rightly so, we don't understand how the brain works. And we don't. Right. But we do understand that the brain is made of chemicals and that chemicals obey the laws of chemistry. Right. So we don't need to know the actual mechanics by how thoughts happen and how memories are recalled to know that they're governed by the laws of chemistry. Right. right. And th- they're also, the mind is so suggestive. Like It's so easily suggested to give you a, um, this great book. I go on and on and on about this book. Have you ever heard of the book You're Now Less Dumb no. by David Mc- McRaney? I'll write it down for you. Oh, uh, hey, You're Not So Smart uh, podcast, podcast guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, I know his podcast. It's great. Yeah. Oh, he's brilliant. Yeah, he's yeah, such, really good. Yeah. He's so good. Yeah. So he's written two books. The You're Not So Smart is the right. first book, and the second one is You're Now Less Dumb. Right. And the whole book is about cognitive biases. And cognitive biases are these things, essentially, that get in the way of our rational, logical thinking brain. And mm. so in, it, this goes so beautifully hand-in-hand hand with the concept of free will or the lack thereof, mm. is that the idea that, no, I chose blue shoes because I wanted to. Mm. But what he has been able to prove and, uh, through his research, through all of these studies in psychology, has proved time and time again that if somebody simply flashes the a card of an angry face before they ask you to make a decision, they can completely predict the decision that you're going to make. Mm -hmm. And it works most of the time. Mm -hmm. So just by showing you an angry face before they ask you if you like John or you like Sam better, you'll always pick John just because you were primed right before then. You don't remember seeing the angry face. It was a flash. It was so quick that it was completely imperceptible, but still you made the decision that they wanted you to make. Mm. Advertising plays on this constantly. They're always putting in suggestive things, colors, emotions, anything to help us make that decision. So I think I wanted those blue shoes because I like those blue shoes, but really I've been primed to pick those blue shoes the whole time. Well, let me ask you a question. How do you create a thought? Yes, that's a great question, and I don't know. So a lot of times, um, for the most part, basically to me and my experience of my thoughts is that it appears in my head and then I'm thinking it before I realize that I'm thinking it. Yeah. People will say, well, I, I, I choose my thoughts. I'm like, okay, so how do you think a thought? Tell me the process by which you create a new thought. Well, I just think it. Well, that's not really explaining to me how you think it. I want to know how do you think it. We don't know. 
people will, once they think about it, they will say, okay, well, I don't know. Okay, my question is always, well, if you don't know how you create a thought, how can you claim to be in control of the process of creating it? Yeah. As you say, my experience is the same as yours. Thoughts just appear. And then I will say afterwards, I thought that. Yes. <laughs> right? yeah. And I liked, I, I was listening to your last podcast with the um, hypnotherapist, uh, Stuart. Mm, story, yeah. Um, and he was talking about the subconscious and the conscious. I talk a lot about those sorts of things in my book as well. And, and you know, I think we, we know this through consciousness studies and neurosciences. The vast majority of what the brain does, we're not conscious of. It doesn't make it up into the prefrontal cortex, the part of our brain, which is the newest part of our brain evolutionarily. I think that's a real word. Um, you know, the, that, that we go, oh, we're aware of that output of the brain. vast majority of what the brain does, we're not aware of it. But we still seem to take control of it. So to get back to your early question um, about why does this all matter, yeah. so the, the, the illusions that we have about free will and identity, I believe, are the fundamental cause of the vast majority of stuff that make people unhappy. Anger, guilt, resentment, fear, anxiety. Mm. Uh, when... In my experience, anyway, when the idea of free will and the idea that I'm an entity which is somehow separate from the universe around me, when those things disappeared, all of those negative emotions disappeared with them because they can't exist without that uh, substrate Mm. of I'm an independent entity and I have free will. They make no sense without those things. When there is only the universe and I am that, and when I and all the illusory people around me are just doing what they're programmed to do because of biology and chemistry, then how can I be angry? How can I have resentment? How Mm. can I have guilt? doesn't make sense. But you do, and this is a trouble, is that you do. You feel those things, and then it's like, okay, so now what? I I get what you're saying, you know, this to play the devil's advocate. I understand what you mean that it's not my fault or whatever, but I feel this way, and I and I I have my feely feelies. <laughs> I feel this, and now I need to make a practical sense of this in real life. Um, there's two arguments generally that I've kind of heard about this concept of free will. If it doesn't exist, then fine, I might as well just sit around and just fucking do nothing because what's the point? And second, if I'm not a me with my feely feels and this isn't important and my believies and all of the things that I'm holding on about who I am, why bother doing anything? Who the fuck cares? Hmm. Yeah, they're, they're, you're right. Those are the questions that people, and, you know, people often say, um, if I didn't believe in free will, I'd just start murdering and raping people. I'm like, should I leave the room now? <laughs> really? Oh, is that where you go to? Yeah. Is that yeah. it? Is Great. that the only thing that's stopping you from killing me and raping me? When, which, way, which order are you going to do it in? It's important. Yeah. It's because you believe you have free will. Um, yeah, no, well, you know, um, you're going to do what you're going to do because of the, the, the way your brain is structured. Right. Um, you know, I I haven't believed in free will or that I exist as a separate entity for thirty odd years. 
you know, I produce four podcasts, I run a marketing company, I've written a couple of books, I'm producing two documentaries at the moment. I'm, I have a busy life. Uh, You're you know. doing things still. Why? Yeah. Why are you because doing that's what I'm doing. I don't know why, because <laughs> that's what the chemicals in my brain are doing. I mean, it makes what drives you to do those things. What do you What do you think chemicals. is the pushing force chemicals. besides chemicals? No, really, just that. Like ideas pop up, and you go and do them. Well, why would you not? Why would you not ignore the idea? So, like, what is it about you? Do you think that makes you go, "Oh, I'll try that." Well, the, I don't think there is a you, uh, but that's I, right. there's probably a million ideas that come up in my head every day that I ignore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, you're not even aware that there's. Yeah. But I do think, I mean, to to, I guess, um, answer your question the way I think you're asking it. Um, what what my experience has been is that when you don't have all of this fear and anxiety and and doubt that comes with the idea of being a separate entity then there's no fear of failure, of trying yeah, things. Yes. Like I, I started making a documentary a few years ago, my first one. And my, my t- older boys, who are now 18, they were probably 16, 17 at the time, they said, what the fuck do you know about making a documentary? And I go, don't know anything. No, yeah. Watch some. And they go, well, how, why do you think you can do it? I'm like, well, can't be that hard, really. You yeah. know, Turn a camera on, write a story and film. Well, what, do we, what if you fail? And I think that's what holds... Stops people from doing stuff a lot is yeah. what if you fail? And I don't know, I don't seem to care about that so much. I've failed at lots of things. I mean, it, 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 depending on how you define failure. To me, the definition of failure is not doing anything. Right. Just doing stuff. And because my boys are at an age now where they're, they're entrepreneurial and they're at uni and they're f- trying to figure out their life, you know, and I tell them, listen, life's an adventure. Just go out there and... Do shit. Do shit. Have as much fun as you yeah. can. Try things. See what works. See what doesn't work. Like the the when you when you read these um, these I don't know it's probably just like internet articles, but you read stuff about you know people's biggest regrets on their deathbed. The number one thing is always I wish I'd done followed my dreams more. I wish I'd done stuff. I wish I hadn't been so scared to do things. And I think that's a good indicator of what's going if those stories are real maybe they're just written by content farms in india i don't know but <laughs> if they're real i know i have no reason to think they're not yeah just get out and do stuff and have fun yeah so maybe it's almost more the answer is not what drives you to do things it's that there's nothing living inside you or no you that's stopping you from doing things that you kind of exist in a world of potentiality yeah i guess i mean i, I because i don't um you know, I think if you if you if you believe that you have a separate identity and, and that you have free will, wrapped up in that is uh, you don't want to you don't want to make a mistake because that's a reflection on who you are. Yeah, then yeah. you think people will judge you and there will be consequences and there's there's all these constructs that then flow on from that. When you stop believing that you're in control and that there really is a you to be in control anyway, it's just the universe unfolding. Mm. It's the laws of physics just playing out second by second and you are all of that and you are observing the laws of physics unfolding. Yeah. Uh, then you just go with the flow and see what happens and some things will pay off the way you thought they would, some things won't. And that's okay too because you're not really invested in 
the outcome of the doing, there is only the doing. Right. Yeah, there yeah. is what's happening right now and being in the moment and just watching it unfold, playing your part. You know, I often refer to it um, as it's kind of like being an actor um, on a TV show or, or on stage. You know that the character's not real. Not an actor, so I, I assume that they know that their characters aren't real. Um, but you know you have a role to play in the play. You know the play's already been written mm. and there's already an outcome and that your actions may or may not be aligned with the outcome of it. Um, but you speak your lines anyway and you do what's on the page. You do what's You do the next line without any thoughts of what the outcome is going to be. You're not playing the role of Richard III on stage and going, hold on a second, I'm not going to do this because <laughs> it's going to turn out badly for him. Right. You play your part and let it all unfold. And it's kind of been my experience for the last 30 years as well is just watching the universe unfold. You know, this character in that called Cameron mm. has a role to play. What that role is, I don't really understand and it doesn't really matter to me either I just just I'm observing yeah it as it unfolds what do you think is the point of your existence well again my I would say my existence is the existence of the universe there is no differentiation yeah for me there is only the universe we are all that so what's the point of the universe I don't know do we have a purpose to be here like do you think like who's we we, the humans, I guess, that that are manifest of the universe. Again, I think there is only the universe and like, everything inside of the universe is the universe just... In a different form. Evolving. Uh, you've heard this before, like, and I've, I don't know, I wouldn't know which religious teaching it is, but it's probably common amongst many of the Eastern ones anyway, is this idea that we are like a wave in the ocean that so a wave is distinct like i can look out to the ocean and see this wave appear for a period of time i could even ride it if i was surfing but it goes back into the ocean when it's done and then it's part of the ocean again so in the same way that well, it's we never are not part of the ocean it's yeah it's always you're right absolutely it, it's always part of the ocean but it appears on the ocean. Mm. yeah yeah and i think it's, it's a good analogy again. it is it's one of the better analogies i've ever heard yeah yeah so we are this experience, experience, we are the ocean, or sorry, we are the universe in the same way that a water droplet admits, makes up a wave in the inside of a wave. It appears itself mm. and then it goes back again to doing whatever you it's doing. You imagine that wave arising and becoming conscious and going, oh my God, I'm a wave, I'm going to go in that direction and then it starts going in a different direction and it's like, fuck this, Why am I? I don't want to go in this direction, I yeah. want to go in that direction. Um, without looking down and realizing, oh shit. I'm just, just a, piece a wave on the ocean and I'm doing what the ocean's doing, so I'll just go along for the ride. Yeah. You know, it's, I, I often say that I think the cause of most unhappiness with people too is the, the differential between what they think should happen yes. and what is actually happening. Absolutely. I totally could, I completely agree with that. And especially the source of my, most of my unhappiness too. Right. In my life. It's like, oh, I should need to be better. I need to be different. I need to be something. And he to... and she yeah. and they Absolutely. shouldn't be doing this. They should be doing that. Yeah. So when, again, when, when I stopped believing in separate entities and I stopped believing in free will, there's no room for that because what's happening is... What's happening. What's happening, right? What's meant to happen with inverted commas around men. 
you know, for me, when I say it's meant to happen, it just means that's the laws of physics playing out with those atoms involved in those, yeah. those people, that process, whatever. Right? Not that there's any sort of uh, conscious entity behind it. It's just or plan. It's just the, the laws of physics playing out. And what, like, what would you say to somebody who says? If I if I, I feel lost and purposeless, and if I don't have free will or I'm not a self, how do I have a purpose? What's the purpose of my life? You know, if somebody kind of feels like they're stalling out because they don't have a purpose, they don't know what direction to go in, what kind of, like in this context, how does a person deal with that? Well, the, the, the problem there is they still think they're a person. That they needs st- to do a something. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? What you were what you doing right now is the only thing you can possibly be doing right now based on who you are the chemical structure of your brain right uh and what you do five minutes from now and a day from now and a week from now again will be determined on those things so um the only thing you can do is stop and observe and and do what seems natural moment by moment. And if you want to change something, if you're not happy there, but you don't know where to begin. Well, I would I would seek the cause of the unhappiness. Again, I would posit that the cause of the unhappiness is always the mistaken belief that you exist. <laughs> that you're as an identity. Of course, you exist. Mm. The, 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 whatever it is that we are exists because if it didn't, I couldn't say I don't exist. There must be something that exists. What is it? Again, I, I would say it's just the universe. But you know, when you when you stop identifying with the individual, with the me, then what is happening with that individual no longer really matters. Like, give me. I'll give you an example. Um, mm. You know, let's say you're watching a TV show, um, great TV show, and uh, there's a or a movie, and there's a particular character in it that you really, really love, and something bad happens to that character. Well, you might feel bad for that character in the moment, but when you turn the TV show off, you stop feeling bad for that character. Unless you're like my wife and I, we'll sit around and talk about it (laughs) for hours later. But, oh, what about that? We get really invested in it. We enjoy the project. It's a good show, right? But then, okay, next day you're not thinking about what happened to that character because you know that that character's not real, that character doesn't really exist, it's just part of a story. When you start to see yourself in those same terms, what you used to think was you, what I used to think was Cameron, and now I realise is really just a construct like the character on the TV show is, you stop really caring a lot about what's going on because you're watching the whole TV show. The whole TV show is the entertainment. Right. That is the story. Instead of looking, instead of thinking that it stops mattering when it gets to the tip of your nose, you realize the whole thing is a show that's evolving in front of you. It's playing out. You know, I heard, Someone say once, we are the universe observing itself. Right, yeah, yeah. That is literally how it feels when you stop thinking of yourself as uh, this meat and fleshy sack, right? You realize that that's not really... That when I... That that, um, thinking I was that was a misidentification. Yeah, okay. Not a bad thing. It was just a mistake. Right. It was a case of mistaken identity. I thought I was this tiny (laughs) little thing when really... All I could, re- all I can be is the entire manifestation. 
Yeah. And we are all that manifestation. You know, that mm. is the only thing that there is. And so... Again, like the wave in the ocean analogy, you know? Yeah. You're just... It's the... Elements are going to combine to push you into to a certain form one way or the other, and you can roll with it or you can resist it. And it's fun. Like, um, you know, like even believing in this, like I've had divorces and business failures and, and uh, business partners <laughs> bezel money and rip me off and, and successes. I've been on the front page of magazines and papers and I've had the highs and the lows and I've had a lot of money and I've been broke and everything in between. Um, but the fun thing when you stop, holding on so tightly that you think you're in control and you're just floating on the wave is, you know, when, when something bad will happen, you'll go, well, okay, well, this is interesting. I wonder what's <laughs> going to happen next. Like, it's like turning the page of a good book mm-hmm. or watching a great TV series. Like you waiting for the next episode of Game of Thrones to see what happens next because you want to know what's going on with the story. You, you're enjoying the story with the ups and the downs and the twists and the turns because it's the it's the the watching of the story which is the fun thing, not right. the particular uh, or the particulars of any particular character in it. You know the events that happen to any particular character. You're enjoying the entire story. So it's almost like the recommendation, really. I mean, besides obviously realizing that yourself is a is an illusion, but the recommendation is like stop thinking about the self for a minute and just enjoy the story. See what happens in the story. Just start watching the story unfold and see what things you like or dislike about it. Because we do have real emotions. Whether we are a piece of the universe or not, we still experience our life. And some days you wake up and don't want to live, and some days you wake up and you do want to live. And for somebody who doesn't want to live and they want to lay in their bed all day and they don't have any idea where to start, that may be what their chemicals are telling them to do for that moment. But if they are deeply unhappy and something needs to change, we essentially the idea is that it's not about you anymore. They have to break away from that idea that it's about me, me and my happiness. Because one of the things, I think one of the most toxic messages that's been going around in the last 10 years or so since I've become aware of what people are trying to tell you to do on Instagram and Facebook is this thing like, just be happy, be happy, find your happiness. Because it's so insipid to me because my I've tried to find my happiness. I spent six months making artwork and doing nothing else because I knew artwork makes me happy, i.e. a whole lot of artwork will make me very happy. And that's all there is to it. And I've never been more miserable. I was (laughs) trying to come out of being uh, drunk myself. My first six months being sober, I wrote a book for that period of time. Instead of making artwork because that's what I thought I wanted to do. Instead, I wrote a book. And then I was mad at myself for writing a book because I should have been making artwork and I should have been in my market stall, you know, whatever the fuck it was. It's like, I am an artist. I'm an artist. I'm a thing I need to need to need to be. And then I was so lonely. And the only thing that changed was I found out that the RSPCA was around the corner. I went and volunteered there for four hours a week and just played with dogs and realized that dogs didn't give a fuck if I was an artist or not. The dogs did not give a fuck about anything except for that I, they didn't have shit on their feet when they walked back into their room. That was it. So my job was to go in, get rid of their shit, and then go out of the room again, and then the dog would come in, shit all over their room, and I'd go and clean it up again. And it was like the, the meanness of everything, why I existed in me and my importance and my artwork and my book and my stuff disappeared for four hours a, a week. That was it. And that was enough to pull me out of this stupid thing that I was in. Well, the dog, talking about the dogs is a, is a great uh, example, though. So how, how much time do you think dogs spend thinking about what they should be doing and who they should be right. and how they should exactly. spend their time? 
They don't, right? They just do what's in front of them. That's mm. what any animal does as far as we know. It just does what it has to do to eat and to breed and to survive. Right. Um, but it's our heads that fuck us up when we start thinking. Like you're talking about your experience before, the common theme in all of that is I should be, yes. I should be, I shouldn't do, I should do. It's the I, I, I. Mm. It's, it's the, the cause of that or the cause, you know, when I talk to a lot of people who are depressed and I'm not an expert, I'm not a psychologist, but I've been depressed uh, to, to various points over my life um, to varying degrees, never really uh, since, you know, I discovered this philosophy, never really extremely miserable but I was before that's why I was drinking Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was drinking because I was depressed um but uh you know I think there are a couple of things happening where people get depressed part of it might be just a biochemical event that's happening in the brain as a result of who knows what diet or, or their environment something's going on in their brain which is just pulling certain neurochemicals out of alignment But then there's also the thought processes, the conscious thought processes that are going on that, and and, and they seem to be interconnected. So if Mm. you have a lot of negative programming in your head about who you are and what you are and your life, and then you have a chemical dip, those things will get worse. And then they can make more bad chemicals come up, which becomes this terrible negative cycle. But if you don't believe that, you are this individual entity that should be doing something different and that your life should be different to how it is and i should be i should be better i should be more successful i should have more money i should have a better relationship i should have i should have i should have when all of that programming is gone and is cleared out what's left now like a month or so ago <laughs> a couple of months ago my wife and I were talking one day and I said, how are you feeling? She said, I'm feeling pretty like low and depressed. And I said, finally, me too. Um, and it was unusual for us, particularly for me. I mean, she goes through uh, ups and downs, typical woman stuff. Um, I, I'm, <laughs> what are you trying to say? <laughs> you know, cycles and that kind of stuff. Her, her moods are more up and down, not as bad as they once were. She went through a period of alcoholism and got sober. She's been sober six years now. So she's pretty good, but, and she's into non-duality and Vida and that kind of stuff as well now, but, uh, which was a big part of her recovery. But, um, for me, it was very unusual, but because there's no self concept left in my head, I was just like, well, I just feel down. And there was occasionally, the occasional stupid thought would come up like, I should not be doing this or I should be doing more of that. But immediately my, the other part of my brain was saying, well, you know, things are exactly how they're meant to be right now. There's no free will. You're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. So just shut the fuck up and... Write it out. Do what happens next. Yeah, write it out. <laughs> and then we both realised uh, a day or two later that we'd both given up, we'd given up cigars about two uh. weeks previously. I used to be I used to run a cigar business. So we, we, we had a habit for the last six or seven years where we'd sit down at the end of every night and have a cigar while or while I worked and we'd sit on the deck we'd share a cigar we don't drink we don't smoke cigarettes but we'd sort of share a cigar together and then we gave them up and so you know I think nicotine withdrawal kicked in and, yeah, and all of a sudden it sort of explained why neurochemically we were feeling sort of down for mm. a period of about a week 
Yeah. And that happens a lot with people's diet. I mean, we don't realize how much our diet actually impacts our brain chemistry. And, and that's another great thing about this is that uh, most people just go, Oh, I, I'm depressed. And and so I just need to keep eating this food and I'm I'm just going lower and lower and lower. And really what we're real, what's happening is that your brain chemistry is already a little bit fucked up. Something's gone wrong in here and you're just feeding that fucked up brain chemistry. And I'm, I'm one of the worst for it because I'm the same. I've been this October at the end of this year, November, November 1st will be three years that I've been sober. Congratulations. Uh, well, who knows if it, as sober is the right word. I was a lot of drinking to zero drinking, and I think that's what you call it. But um, Step one. <laughs> Step one is getting rid of the stimulant. Step two is working out your brain. Yeah. Cle- cle- clearing out the cupboards, yeah. And so, um, so I transferred a lot of that into food or activity. Yeah. And um, so, you know, okay, I'll be a Muay Thai fighter because I can dive into this. This I, With my addictive tendency to want to have to drink or avoid my life, I'll do it through Muay Thai. The amazing thing about that is that it reset my brain chemistry the opposite direction mm-hmm. because through exercise, releasing endorphins, I started resetting mm-hmm. my neural pathways that were consistently telling me. So even though it was an addiction, it actually was an addiction that was helping me re- rewrite those chemicals and just flooding my brain consistently with good yeah, you're chemicals. You're placing booze with endorphins and adrenaline. Right. right. So something that's actually genuine, gen, generated inside my brain mm. to restructure the brain. Mm. And that that changed everything. Then it gives you a little bit of perspective. Then you can sit back and take a little bit more time. So you're not kind of submerging yourself in this world where you have to run away from everything. Mm. And and then that's a tough thing, I think. And the reason why I'm asking a lot of these kind of probing questions about meaning and needing to do something is because I felt... Before, like, I wouldn't have picked up a book to think about this stuff, to even understand it or listen to a podcast to change the way my brain's working because I didn't even know that that, any of that shit was even a possibility. I just was fucked. I'm fucked up. I don't like my life. I don't know what else to do. I'm hopeless, so I'm just going to fucking numb it Mm -hmm. and constantly numb it and keep numbing it. And it took me, again, similar to you, it took me having a very serious wake-up call where I just realized, Jesus Christ, I can't keep being this person. It's usually the way it works. Mm. Yeah. And it it is almost... And so whether... and. Understanding the concept of free will, that I wasn't necessarily involved in that wake-up call, the thing just occurred to me, this event happened, and I made a conscious decision to be something different, but it's not necessarily because that was my choice. It was just that through my life experience, I understood that there were other ways of living. And so um, big, the biggest kind of argument against the concept of the illusion of free will is that people say, yeah, but I used to be an alcoholic, used to be an alcoholic, and now I'm different. So who's who made that choice? I decided that I didn't want to drink anymore. So I'm in charge, right? Yeah, you're right. It gets back to the same thing that people say, I, I did that. So you say, well, where did the thought, how did you create that thought? Yes. I mean, my experience in the decision to get sober when I was 18 was I woke up the morning after that, uh, drunken restaurant event and, and this is even how I explained it back then in my first meeting was the thought was in my head crystal clear it's over right yes me too i had the same feeling now even this is before i even met bob right and i had no background in this stuff it was just crystal clear in my head now you know from a from a fellowship perspective people would normally say well it was uh you know the grace of god or this was put into you and that's that's a reasonable explanation if you have a religious background if you have a non-religious background and you have a you, you know a scientific understanding of things as a model of explaining what goes on, um, there was just something in my head. The, this thought 
just emerged based on everything that had happened in my life. All of all of the programming in my head was just okay. You're going to die. You're going to bond Scott if you if you keep going this yes. way. And it was, and it wasn't. And, this, and my experience at the time again was not that there was any doubt or any question about this. It was, it's done. Like mm-hmm. it has mm-hmm. to stop now. It's stopping now. This when I rang my dad and he said, get to a meeting, and I did, and that was it. Right? Yeah. And, and then I had to clear out the shit. <laughs> all the, the anger, the resentment, the guilt, all of the fucked up programming yeah. in my brain I needed to sort out. And luckily I met Bob about a year later. But, you know, Bob, getting back to this idea of depression and misery and that kind of stuff too, my, Sailor Bob, my guru, um, has a good question he always asks What's wrong with right now until you think about it? Right. Whatever's going on in your life, unless you're getting beaten um, or you're in extreme pain, (laughs) physical pain, in which case do what you have to do to to get out of that situation. But most of the time when people are unhappy, it's a result of, the thought process mm. that's going on. <clears throat> you stop thinking about it and you just sit and be in the moment. Yeah. What's wrong with, you know, the sun's shining, there's birds are whistling, people, kids are laughing down the street. If you get out of your head and you just sit in the moment, there's usually nothing to complain about. Life is good. You know, yeah. You've got some food in your belly, you've got a roof over your head. <laughs> Um, there's there's two things I actually want to say about that. The first one is I had a really profound moment one time when I was in Darwin where I was having an anxiety attack. And these are real common in my uh, youth and all the time. I know, oh, God, I know this feeling. I know exactly where it's coming from. I'm convinced inside my head that I'm going to die. I think I'm going to pass out, and I imagine that that's it. It's going to be me over. And so I was laying there, and I was doing the breathing exercises that the doctor taught me to try and stop the anxiety attack from coming instead of going to pills or something else. Just sit there, breathe, breathe, and it will go away and ride it out. I started having the sensation of anxiety. And then this weird thought appeared in my head that was like, oh, this also feels like what love feels like. And I just realized then that that same level, that same burning in my chest when I feel anxious, that I feel like my life is ending, everything's burning and tingling, my whole body's tingling. I was like, I feel that exact same way when someone I really love reciprocates the love back to me. I feel that exact same feeling. And immediately the anxiety just washed down over me. And I just went, oh my God, I've been telling myself I'm anxious this whole time. Whenever I get this feeling in my chest, depending on the circumstance and the story that's brought it on, I either am in love or I'm anxious. <laughs> I'm going to die. <laughs> yeah. So I'm either certain that I'm going to die or I'm certain that yeah. I'm in love. But the only way I know is by the facts around me and the, the story, story that my head has told it's me. It's the story. Exactly. And then uh, the second thing I wanted to say about that, and this is really beautiful. We went to Indonesia to go surfing a while ago. And uh, one of the girls that was traveling with us always was... She just had this really negative outlook. It was almost like someone had pulled a filter down over her face and it was just everything's negative. No matter what it is, there's always the gross side of it. You know, she's not looking for the bright side of anything. She's looking for the dark side of life constantly. And there would be days where she would just be like depressed or something. And our, the guy that we were staying with was a coconut farmer. 
and his job was just to climb up trees and cut down coconuts and come down. And he fed us food and let us stay at his house, and we paid him money for it. And he would come up to me and go, well, is she okay? And I'm like, ah, nah, I don't know. She's depressed. And, and that word doesn't translate at all in Indonesian. And I was trying to figure out how to say it in my basic Indonesian to him. And he was like, oh, she hungry? And I'm like, no, no, she's not hungry. Oh, she hurt? No. Oh, she sick? No. She thirsty? No. She in pain? <laughs> and he like he would run through all of the options of why a person would look the way she looked. And by the end of it, I was just like, no. no. And then he he just his mind was blown. He was just like, but should I make her some food? Mm. Again, <laughs> it's like dealing with a dog or a one year old child. Mm. Like those are the same things. With if your baby's crying, you do the same thing. It's hungry, it's cold, it's in pain. Yeah, it's got a dirty <laughs> nappy. Uh, one-year-old babies and dogs don't get depressed. It's it's all in our heads. Yeah. Mm. Without and and that's not trying to um, dismiss the experience for people because it's a real thing. Absolutely. And uh, people go through it, and 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 it's something that they need to deal with. And I think they should get professional help. Um, sometimes they need to take some sort of medication to deal with the chemical imbalance. They should def- definitely talk to a professional therapist, etc. But when they get through that period, uh, I always encourage them to start the self-inquiry process. Yeah, I mean. Because, again, I think the fundamental cause of the large majority, I'm not going to say 100%, but a large majority of people's psychological and emotional problems is the idea that they are a separate entity with free will. Yes. And when you remove that, not just through faith or because somebody like Sam Harris tells you to, but through your own process of Mm self-inquiry, having to go, okay, well, I think I'm exist. I think I exist. What am I? Or I think I have, I have free will. How exactly does that work? Let me sit down and work it out for myself and decide for myself if I do or don't have it, or if I do or don't exist as a separate entity, do the, you have to kind of do the work yourself. It's not the kind of thing that, you can just take on faith, I think. You have to yeah, truly dig it out um, by yourself. Well, you know one thing, and I think one of the most powerful things that came out of both your book and Sam's book about this idea is that even if you don't like it for yourself, even if you don't want to deal with any of this and you feel like it gives you no meaning or purpose or whatever, fair enough, um, you can go with that for now. But that concept of compassion for other people that are experiencing their lives that don't have any free will, this is a huge step forward for us figuring out how to have better human interpersonal relationships and reducing human conflict. And the great example that he uses that I love is the idea that so let's give you two. He gives us two scenarios in his book. And by the, by the way, the book I'm talking about is called free will by Sam Harris, but um, he says, so say, um, a guy goes out into the park and murders a jogger. The woman is jogging and he murders her in cold blood. He just beats her up and she's dead. At the end of the day, you have a man who's attacked a woman and the woman is dead. This is the, the facts about the story. What if that man had a brain tumor that made him go out and bludgeon that woman to death? How do you feel now about the guy that bludgeoned that woman to death? The result is exactly the same. There's a guy who attacked a woman and she's dead. But on the one hand, a guy did it of his own free will. 
he bludgeoned a woman to death. He deserves to go to prison forever. And I agree, he needs to be taken away from society. Absolutely, because he's a danger to himself and everybody else. Mm-hmm. And the victims of, of that, her family that are left over are going to feel horrific about this. There's mm-hmm. nothing that can replace the mm-hmm. loss of your family member. Mm-hmm. But if he had a brain tumor that was completely outside of his control, that just grew up in the inside of his brain, pushed on a certain point in his brain, and he went out and bludgeoned someone to death, mm-hmm. you would say he needs help, we mm-hmm. need to remove the brain tumor, and mm-hmm. we need to figure out how to rehab him so that he never does that again. Mm-hmm. And we need to figure out how to deal with brain tumors as they arise so that we stop that before it happens mm-hmm. the next time. Yeah. Now, in the same exact way, and Sam points this out so clearly, is that we all have brain tumors mm-hmm. inside our heads that are dictating our our interpersonal relationships. Because what is a brain tumor? It's a chemical event in your brain that's dictating something, yeah. Exactly. Mm. So if we all have a little bit more compassion to the fact that everybody's got this fucked up wiring inside their brain, it doesn't mean that we should let people roam free murdering people. But Mm. what it means is that punishing them for what they've just done is not necessarily the solution. Put someone in a jail cell for 10 years and then just let them back out to do it again. Mm. Rather have some compassion for them, see if we can figure out how to rewire that person, rehab them, and put them back into society in a way that that's going to be helpful to them and everybody else. Or, you know, turn the lights off. I don't know. (laughs) If they're unrewirable, good. Put them outside of society where they can't harm themselves or someone else. I say the same thing about pedophiles and rapists. Yeah. Okay, somebody didn't wake up one day and choose to be a pedophile. Mm. They didn't say, you know what, I think I'm going to... I'm, I'm, a, I'm a normal, uh, 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 well-balanced person with uh, uh, a regular form of, of sexual desire. But you know what, being a pedophile looks like fun, I think. I'll do it. That's not how it happens. And, right. you know, we've, we've come a long way. If, it's only 150 years ago when people did bad things, we, we, we uh, figured they were possessed by demons and we would dunk them in the water, right? The Salem witch trial stuff. We've come a long way since then, um, but we still have further to go. It was only decades ago where in most Western countries, if somebody was, was homosexual, we considered it a deviancy. It was against the law. Mm. Still in parts of the Western, parts of Australia today, there are people who still think homosexuality is a choice. Mm. Now, most people, I don't, I think, don't believe that anymore. We believe you are born that way. We're getting to the same point with the idea of gender fluidity, we're saying, well, it's not a choice if somebody's born with one set of genitalia, but they feel like they're the other gender, then there's something going on in their brain. It's obviously way more complex than just the, the genitalia you're born with. And we need to acknowledge that and, and figure out, well, what do we do about that for that person and, and to make them feel comfortable, those people in society? And I think we will get to the point where we have the same level of societal maturity when we think about rapists and pedophiles they don't choose to be that way they don't wake up one morning and think you know what i think i'll it would be fun to kill and rape people there's something gone wrong with their brain Mm. either from birth or or an event or a series of events has happened to them now again we don't 
want to leave them out there hurting other people and, and hurting themselves. So we do need to extract them from society. Mm. But it's again, yes, it's, it's a very different concept to punishment. We don't punish the mentally ill anymore. We, we have the insanity defense and that's a serious thing, even though it's not applied very often. But it's, it's a real thing. We think their brain's malfunctioning, so we need to extract them. We need to try and help them, rehabilitate them if possible, and at the very least, as you said, learn from what's happened in their brain. How do we identify that in other people before they get to the point where they mm. can hurt others? How do we – and I say the same thing with psychopaths and sociopaths. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. White-collar CEOs and – Politicians and prime ministers and recent ex-prime ministers and the, the damage that these people can do, um, how do we identify psychopathy and sociopathy early in people and protect society from them and protect them? Yeah, don't let themselves? it manifest. Absolutely. Well, maybe let it manifest but just keep an eye on it. I mean, there mm. are probably psychopaths that do a lot of good Big, uh, in, you know, people say Steve Jobs was a psychopath mm-hmm. and he gave us iPhones and iPads. Now, maybe that's a good thing, maybe it's not. That's a debatable <laughs> point. But there are elements of the personalities of psychopaths that can deliver positives for society. There are elements of their personality that can deliver negatives. And, mm. you know, we... we you, but you're right. I mean, when, when you stop believing in free will it does automatically bring about more compassion. You realise people are just doing what they have to do based on their chemistry and it's yeah. you, you can't judge them for that then. You just... And a good thought experiment of that one, especially, you know, like when you're thinking of normal, just nor- any people that kind of end up in a certain situation is to think about them as a little kid. Um, Sam's done that in one of his lectures. It's the idea that, yeah, like, all right, well, imagine them as a four-year-old. So they could have done the most horrific thing in the world, but look at a four-year-old and then see where did this start? That four-year-old didn't consciously make a decision that in 30 years he was going to rape somebody and murder somebody. That four-year-old has got something going on in the inside of them and then all of the life experience between that point and then. When you think about that four-year-old doing that, you go, fuck, I can't, if only we could have got to them first. Yeah. You know? And this is what I think is a really creepy and so dangerous thing about us constantly starting wars all over the place with people constantly. It's just that we're all we're doing is just recycling and remanifesting this generations and generations of hatred for people. If I go and bomb your family while they're trying to go to a wedding because I miscalculated my stupid drone landing and didn't bomb the bunker, I bombed the wedding. Every single survivor of that wedding is going to now be angry and resentful and victimized by something shitty that we did. And then they grow up and it repeats the whole cycle. And I don't blame them. I'm not saying I'm on the side of a terrorist, but I don't blame you for feeling fucked up and angry and mad. when wanting revenge. And wanting revenge, exactly. And if we could figure out how to sort of heal that, I mean, that's the direction everybody needs to go into is trying to figure out how to heal those things. It's bigger than us. You know, this is bigger than me having a podcast or bigger than me trying to make artwork and burying it in my back garden because I'm embarrassed about it. It's stupid. It's just nonsensical. Every time I think of insecurity or revenge, it's so nonsensical. It's so stupid to live that way. But, I mean, it does happen. It just doesn't mean just because it happens doesn't mean it still has to happen. Yeah, look, it's hardwired into us at a biological level. I mean, mm. uh, 100,000 years ago, it made perfect sense 
for us to uh, be scared of the tribe that lived oh, on yeah, the other true. side of the valley and uh, to, to um, fight them when they came to take our shit because we had a limited amount of shit that could be had in our valley at that time of the year for us mm. to survive. Survival was tooth by tooth and claw for the vast majority of human history. That, that was the reality. Yep. Uh, it's no longer the reality and hopefully we can evolve beyond that. But again, I think the place to start is self-inquiry. Absolutely, yeah. The only way you can help anybody else is to first help yourself and realise that you don't exist and, and <laughs> that you don't have free will. And then what comes concurrent with that is you realise that everything that is happening around the world right now, the violence, the horror, has to happen. It's exactly what has to be happening right now. Again, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't try and change it. We shouldn't Mm. try and do better in our own personal lives or try and affect things on a global scale. But it does remove, you know, a lot of the anger and and, and, um, depressed quality. Yeah, the hopelessness. The hope, the feeling of hopelessness around that because you realise, well, everything is exactly how it has to be right now. Uh, But tomorrow might be different. And um, we've been talking for just over an hour, so I'll let you go. But I just wanted to ask one last thing on the way out. What do you say to somebody that needs to have that ambition? So we were talking about Steve Jobs just before. Things get created. So there is a difference between us and dogs, for example. Dogs, we we can learn a lot from dogs that they don't get buried in their own neuroticism and insecurities. But at the same time, dogs aren't creating the iPhone. They're not making podcasts. They're not making paintings. So there is some value in the world to creating things and putting them out there. If you are don't have this ambitious self that needs to be something, that needs to be an artist or be creating something, how do we still get those people to make stuff and climb that ladder and get things done, push through resistance and get it done? As I said, I'm I'm currently making two documentaries, writing my second book, produce four podcasts, uh, run a business, um, and I don't believe that in any of that kind of stuff. I don't know the 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 I think the act of creation just is is its own thing. I mean, if you if you are wired in that way where you need to create. And by the way, I, I don't know, Steve Jobs said a lot of stuff in his life where I think he uh, didn't really believe in a lot of free will and, in, and independent. And he had an LSD experience that he used to talk about a lot where he yeah. realized the oneness of all things. Um, anyway, I mean, if you are wired that way to create, whether it's at a purely artistic level or, or it's at a business level or a sporting level or whatever it is, that's the way you're wired. You're going to do those things regardless of whether or not you believe you're a separate entity. In fact, you might do more of that uh, if you let go of this free yeah. entity thing because the fear and the, the doubt and all of that kind of stuff will probably disappear as well. You become freer to create because you're not caught up in your head as much, mm-hmm. you know, you're just letting the doing happen and uh, not judging the outcome of the doing because the doing is the only thing that really matters. The the being in the moment, the going with the flow, the wave rises, the wave collapses, the wave doesn't then go, well, shit, I should have 
I should have done that wave better. Yeah, I should have been a bigger <laughs> wave, you know. The, you know, it's just, just all, yeah. of that, all of that bullshit narrative that we live with that fucks us up disappears by itself when you cut off the legs underneath it. And the legs underneath it are the idea of that I'm a separate entity that has free will. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I love it. It does. It makes you feel so much more calm. I, re- I do. I feel it. just the concept of letting go and allowing things to unfold, everything about it feels like a bath of warm water to me. It's, it's amazing. And I'm glad that you wrote that book. I'm glad, well, not you, but, you know, the universe the unfolded book the written. book through you. <laughs> the book was written. Yeah, it was good. It was awesome. And um, so how do people find you if they want to find out more about what you're up to? <laughs> uh, yeah, any number of a million websites. <laughs> Just Cameron Riley. Google me. R-E-I-L-L-Y. I'm everywhere. CameronRiley.com. Threeillusions.com. Just threeillusions.com is the website for that. But, um, yeah, I, I, I do a lot of projects. So yeah. you got a bunch of podcasts. I'll put um, links on to here for a lot of the stuff that you do so that um, people can find you if they want to. Yeah. And uh, the book, again, is called Three Illusions, and uh, you can get it on Amazon. I'll put the link on here for it if anybody wants to have a look at it. Hmm. And, and, again, just uh, if you want an ebook, just send me an email and I'll email you an ebook. Oh, Happy awesome. to give people free books if they want to read it, listen, yeah. Cool, it's yeah, a, it's, it's a short a, book. It's not a it's major not, book. It's not even really a book, really. Yeah, <laughs> I feel bad calling it a book. It's a, a pamphlet. It's a pamphlet, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it'll change your life. Yeah? And, it, and it's an awesome book. I'm really glad that you've done it, man. And thank you so much for coming here.